I had promised you last week that I would give you um, the last week of Christ's life. And so actually, I have two different versions. I have the Dick Vaughn version and the Dan Sheard version. So last week after I taught, Brother Dan came up to me and said, hey, he said, I have a, a version of that myself. And uh, I said, well, send it to me and we'll give both versions out. So um, give those to you. And you can compare those and go back and forth. There, as I looked at them, there are some things that he has on his that I don't have on mine and uh, vice versa. So um, certainly worth uh, taking the time to compare those and read through those as we um, head through the month of March and into April as we hit Easter. This is a great thing to do. One of the things that I often do during the last, during the week of Easter is I take this and uh, when my kids were home, we used to go through this every year as a devotional. We would take this and we would go day by day and uh, we would do that as our devotions and look at the last week of Christ's life. Um, so uh, you can see that um, there. Um, and then, um, and, and I just want to share this with you. If you have kids, I, I really believe it's important to build traditions with your kids that, that will go on. And so one of the things that we did with our kids every year is... Uh, as we worked through this, as we went through the week on Friday night, we, the, the kids knew that on Good Friday, you didn't plan anything, you didn't do anything, because we actually, on Good Friday, uh, from when my kids were probably four to, four to five year old, they knew that we would go into the living room and we would take the coffee table away and everybody would go and they would get their pillows from their bedroom and they would all come and they would put their pillows and we would lay on the floor reclining on our pillows just like Christ did with his disciples at the last meal. And we would actually celebrate the last supper together. And we would have the bread and, and the grape juice. And we would go through the whole thing there laying on the floor reclined like Christ would have done at the last supper. It wasn't like da Vinci painted it with all the guys sitting across. They were laying around sort of on the floor probably with a very low table and uh, that's how they partook of that. And so every year, my family would look forward to reliving the Last Supper. Uh, even when my kids, when my son was 17 years old, I'll never forget when he came to me and said, Dad, um, he said, I took off work on Friday night so I could be here to do the Last Supper as a family. And uh, so traditions are great to do with your kids. And he continues now to do that tradition with his boys so I want to encourage you, if you have kids, uh, or if you have the privilege of having your grandkids for Good Friday, it's a great thing to do to reenact that last, uh, that last supper and spend some time teaching them some of the things from that meal. So again, uh, since it was, somebody asked me for a copy of this, so I wanted to give that to you. We have been looking here in these weeks, we're getting towards the end of Christ's life, we're now at his last week, and... Uh, just before that last week started, we looked at an illustration that was the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and uh, we found that in chapter 11. When we got to chapter 12, uh, we called it anticipation. Uh, chapter 11 was illustration. Chapter 12 was anticipation. Three things took place in chapter 12 that we looked at. It was the triumphal entry, and we talked about the triumphal entry, um, 
there was the anointing by Mary of Jesus, and then there was the Greeks who showed up and uh, again were wanting more information about Jesus uh, when they showed up there in Jerusalem. And then um, we spoke, spent some time in chapter 12, verses 23 through 50, what we called a summarization. So we looked at an illustration, an anticipation, and a summarization, sort of where Christ went back and went over all of his teaching um, from his life. And so now we get to chapter 13, and we are at the upper room here in chapter 13. And we're going to look at that this evening and talk about some things from that perspective. And um, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. A supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that, the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God, went to God. He riseth from the supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. And uh, I'm going to look at this tonight through being a servant, and talk about what it means to be a servant this evening, because if there's ever a portion of scripture that portrays what a servant looks like and the characteristics of a servant, it's this portion of scripture right here in the upper room. Now, again, to set the scene and just to remind you of a couple things here in this upper room, um, how did the disciples come into the room that night? Anybody remember? What's that? With dirty feet. They came with dirty feet. Something else, and they did, and that's why he's going to wash their feet. But they came in as, in harmony. Yeah, they came in debating this thing that had gone on for some time. Who's the greatest among us, and who should, who should sit where? Now, Christ had just spent over 18 months ministering to these guys, and yet going into the upper room just hours before his death, what are they doing? They're arguing back and forth about who should sit where and who's the greatest among them. And now that's not recorded here in the book of John. It is in the other Gospels, but here it isn't recorded. And so there's this thing of they've come in, they've sat down. <clears throat> and again, tradition, when you go back and you study Jewish tradition, when you came into somebody's house or when you came into the meal, the servant, if there was a servant, they would wash your feet. They didn't have roads like we have today. You know, it was dusty, your feet got dusty, you wore sandals. So when you came to a meal, often the servant would meet you at the door. You would take your sandals off if you had sandals. If not, if you were just barefooted, the servant would wash your feet. That was the job of the servant. And, and certainly here, these guys aren't even thinking about that because what are they thinking about? They're thinking about themselves. And they're thinking about their position and they're thinking about who's the greatest and who, you know, who should be uplifted here. So this isn't even on their mind. But Jesus here, he's thinking about that. He is thinking about this. So it says here, um, he, he rises from the supper, laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he, gird, he was girded. 
Observation number one about, being, about servanthood is this. Being a servant is unannounced. Being a servant is unannounced. You notice here it says here that uh, Christ just got up from the table. He didn't say anything. He just went over. He got the water and the towel, took part of his garment, took it off, and he just knelt down and began to wash a disciple's feet. He didn't say, hey, guys, I want you to watch what I'm about to do. Now he's going to say that at the end. But he didn't make a big deal about this, did he? He just got up, poured the water, and went over and began to serve. And a person with a servant's heart, they're, they're not going to announce, now watch me, look at what I do, follow, you know. They just quietly go about serving. That's what a true servant really does. That's what somebody, with, in a sense, that's the quali- it's a quality of servanthood is they just go about it unannounced. Um, so that, that's number one. That's what Jesus did here. He just went this unannounced. It says, Then he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Lord, you got to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. So he comes to Peter, and Peter is going to make this big scene here. And so the second point about servanthood is this. The second observation about servanthood is this, is being a servant means receiving graciously. Peter didn't understand servanthood. Because he didn't know how to what? He didn't know how to receive graciously. Now here is God. Here is Jesus in the flesh. And again, Peter, he's one of the close disciples. He, he is one of the more intimate disciples. So if there's anyone who should know the heart and mind of Jesus, who should it be? It should be Peter. Peter should know that. But Peter, what does he do here? He, he says, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No way. No way are you going to wash my feet. And you know, that is what? That was pride. That's what it is. It was pride here that stopped him. But being a servant means receiving graciously. And so rather than just letting him go about it, Peter wanted to make a big scene here. And a true servant can not only wants to serve, but he also can receive graciously. If somebody wants to serve him, he knows how important it is to serve, so he lets them do it. He doesn't make a big deal about it. He lets them minister just as much as he wants to minister. He realizes that others want to have that opportunity to minister also. And so, you know, when somebody wants to do something for you, when somebody wants to minister to you in a very special way, don't push it away. We, when we were ministering there in Magnolia, New Jersey, I'll never forget, I got a call from Jim Gentry, and he was one of my elders, and he said, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, we've gotten you a babysitter this week to watch your three kids. And he said, we're expecting you at our house at six o'clock. And I said, why? And he said, well, I'm just telling you, we got a babysitter. And when you're, the babysitter will be at your house. And then will you come to our house and uh, you be there at six o'clock? So I said, okay, Jim. And I remember the babysitter showed up and she took care of our three kids. And we made our way over to Jim and Sandy's house. And, uh, we, I knocked on the door, and Jim met me at the door in a tuxedo. I thought, this is strange. And so he opened the door, and he said, come in. And we went in, and 
I noticed on the room I'd been in their home many times, I noticed that there was this real fancy tapestry that had been put up so I couldn't see into their dining room. And next thing I know, he says, follow me. And he comes in and he pulls the tapestry back and there's this beautiful table setting with linen and candlelight and uh, very romantic music playing. And he took the chair and set Virginia down and they began to serve us a meal for the next two hours that was phenomenal. And I mean, every time I took a sip of my water, he was there filling it up. And they ministered to us in an unreal way that evening. And I have to tell you, I felt very funny. And I, and I kept wanting to say to my to one of, Jim and Sandy, you guys shouldn't be doing this. And, and, they, and they didn't have a lot of money. They had four kids. And, and I, knew, I knew what their financial picture was. But that night, they put on the most phenomenal meal and ministered to us and let us have time alone. And it, it was really, it was a funny feeling to go through that that evening. But you know, that this scripture kept coming back to my mind that evening. What? You need to be gracious. You need to accept this humbly because they want to serve you. And it's hard to do that, isn't it? But that's Peter here. That's what Peter, he doesn't understand that being a servant means receiving graciously. So he says, you know, no, you're not going to do this. Um, he has a pride problem. And when we can't receive graciously, let me tell you, it's a pride problem. Um, and, and sometimes I, I struggle with pride. I, I struggle with pride. One of our dear ladies who's on a fixed income took Virginia and I out today for lunch. You know, and, and my thought right away is, you know, she shouldn't be doing this. She shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, my 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 flesh wants to say, oh, no, don't do that, don't do that. But I know, again, being a servant means that we receive graciously because when somebody else does that, it's a blessing to them. So Peter didn't understand that. So, you know, Peter says unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, if I wash, um, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So, you know, Peter goes overboard here. And he says, Lord, okay, then I'll just give in and just don't wash my feet. Just do the whole body then if you're going to do it, Lord. And what does, what does he come back? And he says, you know, you don't need your whole body washed. Jesus said unto him, he that is washed needeth not to save, wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. So, so what does that statement mean? What, what is he saying? And he's saying, listen, Peter, when Peter says, well, just wash me all then, you know, he comes back with sort of this still cocky pride. Well, okay, I'll let you wash my feet, but you've got to wash my hands, you've got to wash my head. And he says, listen, you don't need to be washed. There's a tremendous picture for us as Christians here. At the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were washed in the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song. Your sins were washed away, weren't they? They were wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. But as we live in this world every day, what happens? We get dirty, don't we? We get dirty just by walking in the world. And so we don't need to be all washed again. We don't need to be saved again. We're saved one time. But sometimes we just need what? Our feet washed. That's all. We don't need to be re-saved. We simply need to have our feet washed. And so there is a spiritual principle also that we see here that 
you know, we don't need to be resaved. It's just a matter of if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that when I come back and I, every time I confess sin that I've done today, it's what? I'm getting my feet washed. That's what this is saying here. It's what he's saying to him. You don't need your everything washed. You've been cleaned already. You just need, a, just need to have your feet washed here, Peter, is what he's trying to get across to him. Um, there's something else here that, that I want to talk to you when you think about servanthood. First of all, being a servant is unannounced. Secondly, being a servant means receiving graciously. And thirdly, being a servant is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of incredible strength. Principle number three about being a servant. Principle number one, being a servant is un unannounced. Principle number two, being a servant is receiving graciously. And principle number three, being a servant is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of incredible strength. Um, often we hear this said about Jesus, that he was a man of meekness. He was a man of meekness, and often we don't understand that word meekness. I think I've talked to you this before, and I'll probably say it a hundred times after this again. You'll hear me say this, but meekness is not weakness. After often we've thought of meekness as um, someone who sits in the corner and they're very, we would say, quiet and, and unpresuming. But that's not meekness at all. According to Scripture, meekness is giving up my rights to meet the needs of others. That's what the definition of meekness is. So when the Bible's talking about meekness, Christ is what? He was willing to give up his rights to meet the need of others. And here, he's giving up his right in a sense of being the leader here, and he's making himself a servant so that he can minister to others. It's, a cons it's, it's strength. Meekness is strength under control. Giving up my rights to meet the needs of others. That's what it means when it says that Christ was meek. And here he's showing tremendous meekness. He's showing tremendous strength. And uh, that's what it is. He, meekness is not weakness, but it's incredible strength. And it takes incredible strength to give up our rights. Because we are a people who want demand our rights. And again, it's totally wrong thinking for us. And so Christ is demonstrating the spirit of incredible strength of the word that what I would use is the word meekness here. Um, so... So after, in verse 12, after he had washed their feet and he had taken um, his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and I say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Um, this is one of the last major teachings of Christ. It is. It's one of his last major teachings. So what he's saying here is he's telling them, listen, I've just, give you, I've just given you an example of how you are to live. Um, there's a tremendous teaching illustration here for us. Um, often when we teach, we give forth information and then we tell people, I'm going to give you this information and then I want you to go out and do it. Christ taught totally backwards. 
What did he do? He did it first, and then he says what? Now I want you to go and do this. It's a total different way of approaching teaching. We often approach it, here's the information, now go live it. Christ said, I did it, and now I want you to what? I want you to do it. I think this is a phenomenal way of teaching. It's living the example out and then saying, okay, here's the principles. You've watched me do these principles. Now I want you to do this. And I really think that's what mentoring our students or mentoring our kids is all about. Is we take our kids and we give them opportunities and we do stuff in front of them. And then we turn around and say, now you've seen me do this and now this is what? Your turn. This is what I want you to do. And so it's, it's really a neat way of teaching here that he's getting across to his disciples. And how important is servanthood? If it's one of the last major things that he takes the time to teach his disciples, that he actually illustrates to them, it is resolved. It is important. And so when we think about this, what's the result of, of serving? What's the result of being a servant? Um, and we, we find that as we go down to verse 17. Verse 16 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that's, uh, that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, what is this word here? Blessed. Happy. Same word, remember back in the Beatitudes, blessed are you if you do this, blessed are you if you do this. Remember when we started that series last year, we said another word for blessed is what? Happy. So he's saying, listen, happy are you if you do them. So he says, listen, you guys, you want to have a happy life, don't worry about who's the greatest. Don't worry about who's sitting here. You just take this principle of servanthood and live it out. So he said, you know, and I, and I think there's a reason that he took the time to do what he did because, listen, he heard these guys when they came in the room. And he must have thought, oh, my, 18 months and they still don't get it. I ought to give it one last shot. I'm going to give one last lesson so they'll really understand it's not about who's the greatest. It's the what? The greatest is the servant. The greatest is the servant. And so one last time. He, he gets it. And again, what, what a great teaching illustration. Jesus is the master teacher. He is. And so he, he sees the problem and he immediately goes into action to teach his disciples, his students, this principle they need to learn about servanthood one last time. And he says, you guys want to be happy? You're not going to be happy if you're fighting about who's sitting where. You're not going to be happy if you're fighting about, you know, who's the most important. You're going to be happy when you get this thought of it's important who's, who you're serving. And I want to tell you, if Christians would get that today, when I come to church on a Sunday morning, I said this at the annual business meeting, it's not about me coming to church thinking about, you know, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? No, it's about what? It's walking through the doors of Mount Calvary Church every Sunday morning saying, what can I give? Who can I minister to? Who can I be a blessing to today? And, and I really believe that's how God wants us to live our lives. You know, who, who can, as I come to church today, yes, it's going to be exciting because we're going to, we're going to worship together. We're, we're going to fellowship together. We're going to sing together to uplift Christ. We're going to do that. We're going to worship Christ as a body today. And, and we're going to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word in Sunday school. And we're going to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word in church. 
But as we come to do that and to learn, we should come with the mindset of servanthood. Who can I serve today? Who can I go and just be an encouragement to? Who can I go to and, and look to minister to? You know, one of the, one of the exciting things for me is I, I love when people do secret acts of love. That's true servanthood. It really is. I love when somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, listen, God's blessed me, and, and I want to be a blessing to somebody else, and here's an envelope. Would you give this to so-and-so? I don't want them to know where it came from. I, I just want to get this to them. Now, I used to do that all the time in our other church. But here we have mailboxes, so you don't even have to have somebody do that for you. You just stick it in their mailbox. Or, man, I, I, I love it when I hear about other people ministering to each other, about our, our people bringing meals and serving one another and ministering, that's what church is all about. It really is. And so I think this is an important lesson for us as a group to what? To think about, if I'm really going to be happy in my walk with God, I need to be serving others. I really do. And here, here's a... This is a, just a teeny little illustration of this, but it is. Quite a few Wednesday nights in our small group, our small group moves around from place to place. And so usually about quarter of six, I get a phone call from this guy named Tim. And this guy calls and said, hey, Pastor Dick, he said, we're on our way to small group. Can we stop by and pick you up? Now, we live real close together, and it's, you know, but it's not always in their way. But this guy right here, Tim Schaub, calls me. And he said, can we come pick you up? And you know, do you know what a blessing that is to me? When I get that phone call from him? Because he's got such a servant's heart. He does. And there, he picked me up last week and took me to a small group. And it had been a week he had chemo. And there he is ministering to me in the midst of his need. Now, it's not that I'm a bad driver. It's not that he doesn't want to ride with me or anything like that. The man's got a servant's heart. He really does, even in the midst of his trial. And those are the things that, you just don't know what that, how, Tim, you don't know how that blesses me, but I was sitting thinking that tonight. Man, what a servant. You don't have to do that. But when those things happen, that's what the body of Christ is all about. It is about serving one another. And so my encouragement to you and my admonition this week is, hey, who can you serve this week? Who, who can you do just a secret act of love for? Who can you minister to this week in a very special way? Why? Because you want to be happy. A lot of people are miserable because they're wrapped up in themselves. People are happy when they look outward and look for ways that they can minister to others. Great lesson that Jesus taught us here in the upper room the night before he died. Let's pray. Father, thank you for God's word this evening. Just just simple lesson as we've gone through this portion Again, out of Jewish culture, he 
taught a very important lesson from the Jewish culture of washing feet. And when we understand Jewish culture, we understand what a big deal this was. And he did it, Lord, first of all, because Jesus was meek. He put others before himself. He lived a life for others. And so here as he is closing out his ministry and his time with these men that he loved and spent so much time with, and I'm sure it must have broke his heart that night in the upper room as he heard the guys coming in, bickering amongst themselves. And I'm sure this lesson that he taught them, Lord, came out of that. Because he truly wanted his disciples, just like he wants us, to have a life that's abundant, to have a life that's happy and blessed. And that comes through ministering to others. So this week, may we go forth from this building to be servants to one another. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. Have a great week.